is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey's denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Welcome into another edition of FUVFC. Nick Guzman here alongside Chris Carino and Caleb Stein. Is this your first appearance on the pod? It's got to be, man. I'm it, stoked. Another member in the FUVFC crew. We're, we're psyched to be here. Another week back in the studio School's in the swing of things. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, I'm definitely having a bit of Premier League withdrawal, I think I would say. It's been a little too long since I've seen that lion on the sleeve. Um, but I've been enjoying the international break. I've been enjoying watching uh, the U.S. team, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, but yeah, I'm just excited for the Prem to come back this weekend. Caleb, how are you? Feeling good, man. Ready to talk some U.S. MNT, some Prem. Looking forward to it. So we'll start with the international window. There's always been a subset of people who who would like to ban the international break. And I think if you look at who the United States men's national team played this last window, you might be inclined to agree with them. Uh, in October, they, we've got Germany and Ghana coming up, so those are two tasty matchups. But for this September window, we watched the USMNT square off against Uzbekistan and then Oman. Not the most uh, premier opponents in the world. And the, it's, uh, starting with that Uzbekistan game on Saturday... Yes, the U.S. won 3-0. Tim Weah scored early, then Pepe and Christian Pulisic scored in extra time to seal the 3-0 win. Yes, it was pretty much dominant from the U.S. from start to finish. Sure, there were things that you need to clean up, but the narrative coming out of that Uzbekistan game was that it was not good enough and that this was Greg Berhalter's game, his first game back in charge of, of the U.S. Since, since the World Cup, since the Gio Reyna scandal. And since all that happened, so you wanted to see how this team would come out and play. And I think the the reaction to this game and the reaction to this performance, it was a little bit of an overreaction from people uh, calling for Greg's head after one friendly against Uzbekistan. I don't think it's a very it's a very honest argument. Um, I think no matter what happened in that game, that those kinds of people would have been calling for Greg's head anyway. But I think there were things to 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 that were not great about the performance, but. 3-0 against Uzbekistan, and I think the big thing that is that they improved against Oman. Um, so that sort of shows that you're taking a step forward, I guess. But can you even, Chris, draw any kind of conclusion from games against sort of teams like this? That's a good point you make right at the end, kind of not being able to draw conclusions. I kind of feel that way about just the U.S. national teams in general. I mean, when we look back at those friendlies right before the World Cup, we were in full panic mode that they might not even score a goal at the World Cup because they were, you know, tying or, you know, keeping friendlies close that they shouldn't have kept close. I don't think there's a ton of merit, ton of weight into these friendly games, especially, you know, the friendly games in the first, uh, you know, in-season window since the World Cup. It's always kind of a weird time, always kind of like the first week of school 
school, first two weeks of school, kind of a similar vibe. But I wouldn't put too much merit in it, especially too much negative merit in a 3 nothing win. I understand it wasn't a total domination from, you know, the first whistle to the last whistle, but still a 3 nothing victory. Obviously, you want to have it be a little more closer, you know, obviously, maybe not sweat as much, but just in a, on an indi- individual performance level and kind of how the team came together, especially toward the end of that game, I don't think there should be any major question marks. What I will say is Mexico played Uzbekistan yesterday, and they drew 3-3. So, and they got aliens. And they, so. <laughs> they <laughs> Mexico, like, yes, the performance could have been better um, from the U.S., but it's hard to sort of take away anything from these games when yeah. these are the kinds of opponents that you're going up against. Next window, you've got Germany, you've got Ghana. Then in November, you've got Nations League quarterfinals, or Na- Nations League quarterfinals, but also qualifiers for Copa America. It's a two-leg tie with an opponent, TBD. But if the U.S., in that two-leg tie against whoever they play, come up short, even though they're hosting the Copa America in 2024, they won't be there. They will not be there. That's absurd. So those, So that two-leg tie in November, you've got two more games before that, but it's a big, big deal. And if... You know, this team isn't quite performing to the level that they should. You know, there could, you know, we've seen with this team in the past, yes, it's a whole different group, but but when it's a, a one, one-off one game or, or, or a two-legged tie, things can go badly, badly wrong. But I think the big thing is the improvement in the Oman game um, because that was a very good performance from start to finish. And I think in that game I could pick out individuals who played very well. Weston McKenney played exceptionally. The long balls he was picking out, the long diagonal balls on a consistent basis to open up the space for this team was superb, and it really just opened up the whole game for this entire team. I think it was also good to see um, Christopher Lund play play left back because that left back position behind Anthony Robinson for years, there's been essentially no one. So he looked good, and ha- sort of having him maybe be a, a backup option to Anthony Robinson could be good for the depth of this team in the future. Ethan Horvath, good for him to get a game in goal considering now I think he's probably considered third choice at Nottingham Forest with Matt Turner there, and they also just brought in that uh, the Greek keeper, keeper from Benfica. So good for Horvath to get to get in a game. Balogun scores, but I think the performance was better, but I think when you're trying to, to make conversation to craft narratives about this team and this international window, it, it's, hard, it's a hard thing to do. I think the narrative for me is that Greg's back, and I think a lot of people don't like that, and I think a lot of people... We're going to continue to not like that no matter what happens on the field. But to me, that Oman game looked – they looked good. They the, the the movement looked good. And I think for, for, for Greg Berhalter to see improvement from the first game to the second is definitely what you want to see. But, again, it's like what, what can you possibly – draw from a game where you play Oman there's an interesting element and I feel like we almost bring it up every time this U.S. team goes kind of into a friendly break it seems like every single time every most recent break of international it seems like the U.S. team is as busy as they'll ever be you know you kind of look at this starting 11 all of these guys are in you know major leagues around the country we kind of touched on this last year a little bit before the World Cup but it's really a time now where these guys don't just have the U.S. team going on they got you know almost a whole other half of their career to worry about and that wasn't necessarily the case a couple years ago would like to you know obviously create the narrative as a Pulisic hater that you know his sub came on and then scored something he couldn't do did you see the free kick that Brendan Aronson took something he, he was probably the worst free kick I've ever seen like yes it went in the back of the net but 
if we're staring at this from a, like a extremely broad kind of you know observational standpoint, Pulisic couldn't score. They subbed someone on who could, and then he scored. That's kind of what happened. That's a dishonest. That's kind of assessment what of what just happened. <laughs> no, but I'm kidding. I am kind of. I am in talking in an ironic tone, but in seriousness, kind of. I don't want to let McKinney go unsaid what you said before. You just that presence he had in the midfield. I haven't really seen that from him. Definitely didn't see that from him at Leeds, and really didn't see that much from him at Juventus either. Kind of wonderful to see that guy back to who he wants to be. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Plisic's terrible. <laughs> Crazy throwback. Um, what I'll say is. Brendan Aronson, the free kick that he scored, went through the middle of the wall, deflected off the middle of the wall, and went still directly at the Oman keeper, who proceeded to flail at it and let it go into the middle the middle section of the goal. So the second goal Ronaldo scored in the World Cup in 2018 that went through De Gea's hands, we're not giving him that hat trick now? That didn't happen? Is that what we're saying? No, I'm saying he gets the hat trick. I just think you a little bit more of an asterisk. That was Portugal. This is Oman. I, I see Brendan Aronson... 60th minute right here, goal. That's all I Listen, see. Listen, no one loves Brendan Aronson more than I do. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. To, I'm literally getting you to hate on but, Brendan Aronson. But right you're, now. yeah, you're grinding my gears. You know, last week, Chris, I brought up that. Um, I continue to bring it up every time I'm on air, just how awful of a take it is to say that Marcus Rashford should play striker. And yeah. I continue to no. say that just so it resurfaces. <laughs> Definitely have not looked great on that. In because hindsight. every time Rashford plays up top as a number nine. Doesn't seem to go very well. No, and then he'll play Arsenal and then still come in from the left and score, even though he's playing striker yeah. just because he hates me. Um, but, yeah, you can go it's, on. It's just, not, it's just not his position. But So, for the U.S., they've got games against Germany and Ghana coming up, followed by those Nations League quarterfinals. I think with this team, we're at a point where the, the, the group that's going to be coming in to, to each camp, for the most part, 16 out of the 17 or 16 out of the 23 names or something like that you can you can chalk them in and say that those guys are going to be yeah. in camp each time 100% yeah I think that's a good thing to have to have um consistency from camp to camp and I think that's something that also is a luxury when you've got that many players playing at high levels in Europe I think a lot of the moves that these guys have made have been beneficial whether it's for Christian Pulisic to AC Milan or Musa to that same AC Milan team Balaga now at Monaco way up playing wing back for Juventus yeah um that's kind of the that's kind of the yin and yang of what I was saying. I was kind of talking about the negatives of having established players. That's kind of like the positive yeah. of it. And but then also when you have all these established guys, you you're watching our essentially first team 11 go up against Uzbekistan and Oman and how much can you learn? Yeah. So I think that'll probably put a cap in our in our USMNT discussion because you just can't really draw any conclusions when they play Uzbekistan and Oman. Next month though, Germany and Hartford Connecticut and then Ghana, those should be some tasty tasty matchups, sort of a flashback to 2014 World Cup. I was just Cup, about to say that. Group G. Two of our three teams in our group that year. We just need Portugal, and then... Germany's a much different side from Germany's a much different side. Is much there any different. carryover from that Germany side? Um, I don't think so. I, don't th- I, don't think I really so. don't think so. I mean, it, I would I would think it would be a guy like Hummels that could like maybe make the roster just like yeah. sneaky, but I, besides that, I don't think so. And Germany yeah. just fired just fired their coach, Hansi Flick, yeah. after they, they lost 4-1 to Japan. So that's, that's a... That's a team sort of that's flailing right they now. They can't get past Japan. No matter Kimmich what. wasn't 14, was he? What'd you no. say? Kimmich wasn't, Kimmich wasn't 14, no. no, no. Yeah, yeah. And Gundogan's captain. Gundogan, Gundogan was around 2014, but he wasn't on that team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, too young. But So that'll be interesting to see next month. But at last, this international break, the international hiatus has ended, and and Prem's back. The Prem's back, and then the week after, or this a week from now, the Champions League is back. So we're finally able to dig our teeth into some 
European footy once again. And this Premier League slate, it's a pretty tasty one. Not necessarily any big six clashes, but a team like West Ham, who's had a really, really hot start to the season. Three wins and a draw for them. Getting to host Man City on Saturday. Man City haven't necessarily played any any of the big-name competition so far. They've played Newcastle. They hosted Newcastle at home. Newcastle are good, but they haven't played anybody in the big six. But I think West Ham away could very well represent City's toughest test of the season it's so far. 100% their toughest test of the season so far. We don't even really know how good Newcastle is right now. I mean, they kind of got bullied they by Brighton. Tough, they had a tough schedule to start the season. Yeah, I mean, they kind of got bullied by Brighton. It, it was kind of worrying to me a little bit. I wasn't worried about Newcastle until I saw that game, but I do think you know, that we saw firsthand as Chelsea fans kind of going against away at West Ham. That is not an easy game to win. That culture of the Conference League Championship, obviously guys like Rice are gone and things like that, but that kind of aura is definitely still there of just kind of winning. Um, side point about West Ham, Jesse Lingard has been training with them. That is would he be, really? That would be... Oh my gosh. He's been training. I saw he played in a West Ham game behind closed doors. Like they had a, they had like a scrimmage, I guess you can call it. And he was playing behind closed doors. And kind of, I wouldn't say recurringly, but kind of randomly, he'll post in a West Ham shirt every once in a while. Um, this is kind of a minor story. I don't want to touch too much on it. But listen, Lingard was my guy. I'm always down to talk some Jesse Lingard. <laughs> Me as well. Jesse Lingard ran 2018. He ran my, he's run my life for like four and years. And he went to, he played so good at the, that World Cup for England. Yeah. And since then, it's just sort of been downhill, except for the one little loan spell at West Ham. He was fantastic. Where he was fantastic, but then it didn't turn into anything. He went back to United. There was rumors that summer that he would get a move, but he never did. Yeah. He didn't play. And when you look at their kind of team, and especially at that attacking kind of center mid position, you look at a guy like Paqueta that they can get so much money for on return. Guy Bringing a guy like Jesse Lingard might not be the worst idea. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I don't want to get you too excited. No, I, I, I love Jesse Lingard. I don't know if he's, he's necessarily got it. Oh, yeah. Anymore. If you watch him play at Nottingham Forest, it's rough. It was not good. Not fun. Um, but nonetheless, nonetheless, West Ham will look to you know that'd be a huge win for them against massive. Man City. They've had they've had a great great start this season, coming off that Conference League win. It seems like Edson Alvarez has slotted right into that that CDM role as a Declan Rice replacement. Yeah. It seems to have worked out pretty well so far. But then elsewhere, we've got our team, Chris Chelsea. On the road against AFC Bournemouth. And for Chelsea, it has not necessarily been an even start to the season uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, right before the international break, losing to Nottingham Forest at home at Stanford Bridge by a score of 1-0. Shout out Matt Turner for keeping the clean sheet. Shout out Matt Turner. Shout, Shout out, out Matt Fairfield. Turner. Although, that might be one of the easiest clean sheets I've I've ever seen. What did he have to do? There was, no, there was really no attacking vigor from... From Chelsea. I mean, I'm sure Nicholas missed, missed a sitter or two, so I'm sure he had to get at least a little worried, but then it just went over his head, so he didn't have to care. Um, we kind of talked about it a little bit before the pod, just kind of how frustrated we are with this Chelsea team. I mean, they run this two-attacking man, kind of dual attacking with Raheem Sterling. It's an absolute mess. I mean, when Chelsea fans watched in the preseason, they saw the three-man attack with Mudrick. They saw how well it worked. Obviously, Nkuku being injured is a wrench in the season. We knew that as soon as that news came out. But I think getting straying away from the tactic that was so... I don't want to say successful because it is preseason, but just seemed to work so well and seemed to be very well-oiled. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. It's also, you know, at home, starting two attacking players, starting Sterling and Nicholas Jackson. Yeah. When you're playing a team like Nottingham Forest at home, I don't understand why you need 
all of those defenders and midfielders who aren't yeah. necessarily attacking minded. And then the wing back, it's that's all confusing because Chilwell's playing left wing, and then on the right, Gusto's playing right back. It does. It's very. It's just, it's weird. I, I'd like to think I understand tactics, but sometimes when I watch, like, how Chelsea line up <laughs> and who's playing where. Because yeah. if you see Chilwell bombing the wing on one side, you would assume Gusto's yeah. doing the same thing on the other. No. Otherwise, you've got this weird, like, diagonal. You know why? Because he can't. He can't. <laughs> it's like, like, what? Like, this is, it just, it seems. Yeah, the Reese James, the Reese James injury is. It seems is idiotic. Huge. Yeah, it seems similar to Aaron Rodgers where we had hope. Maybe some of that wasn't fully legitimate, but then within a millisecond, it all goes away. Reese James, is, wait, was that a Reese James comparison to Aaron Rodgers? Yes. Yeah, and I'm confident. I'm, yeah, I'm not that. mad about He's that. He's our best player. I'm right? not mad about that. Yeah. Um, but I, well, the point I do want to make is going to Bournemouth this weekend for Chelsea. We were talking about how there's not a lot of great matchups this weekend. It seems like every Chelsea game is big for them going forward. Yeah. You know, even in a way at Bournemouth where Man City fans might literally and metaphorically knock it out of bed for that game, Chelsea fans need to be attentive and watch every minute because their season could go poof just like that with one Bournemouth goal. So I do think a level of importance does need to be drawn on it. And, uh, yeah, they need to start winning. And, you know, for Bournemouth, they've been struggling to start the season. Of course, they've, they've acquired uh, uh, Tyler Adams, but he's been injured, was not in this recent U.S. camp. Yeah. But I feel like Bournemouth away is a game in the past, I think maybe might have been Maurizio Sarri era, where Chelsea got absolutely destroyed at Bournemouth. But it's happened before. and It's like Man City going to play Tottenham. Yes. Just, they just never win. Any, any Prem away game is tough, and especially for this Chelsea team right now, considering what happened last year and what's happened at the start of this year. Every game's a big game, like you said, Chris. You just need wins on the board. You just need points on the table to try to climb your way back up in this early stage. But a team who's actually had a really positive start to the season is Tottenham. And Tottenham is, is hosting Sheffield United, a game that they'll be sort of licking their chops at, that we can get another win on the board under Big Ange Postacoglu. But this looks like a Tottenham team where we were talking on this podcast about how once Harry Kane has moved to Bayern Munich, you think, well, what does this Tottenham team possibly look like? And they look good. Yeah. They look good under Ange Postacoglu. It seemed like Human Sung was just waiting to, you know, get that call to become the man. It didn't seem like he'd be that ready right away, but it seemed like he'd almost been waiting for it for years now. He was more than ready to go into that role as kind of the main goal scorer, and obviously he had that hat trick last weekend. But also... James Madison is the difference. He's been playing he is, so well. To me, he is the difference to this team. I mean, a guy who may have gotten hidden away a little bit down at Leicester with the Foxes. Maybe his talent went underplayed a little bit for a few years, but that can't happen anymore. He's now in a big six team, in the middle, nowhere to hide, and he's done everything he possibly can to flourish, and he's impressed me maybe more than anyone else in this league so far. And I think Ange has also done a thing where with those two holding players, whether it was, it was Conte, whoever was in charge, it, it would be one of Bentoncourt or, or Hoybier in there, and it was never sort of the duo of Basuma and Saar. Yeah. But it seems like Basuma and Saar are that duo that's going to provide that solidity. And then you put Madison at, at, at Cam, yeah. and it opens it up for him to do all kinds of things in an attacking sense. And the funniest part is that Eric Dyer still gets minutes. Like that's like that's I think that's the overall the funniest part of the entire Tottenham situation. How is that Eric guy Dyer gets still on. around? Like when we talk about their Champions League final team, he's the only guy left, and it's just hilarious. It, it makes me laugh. But yeah, Tottenham definitely a good start to the season. I could definitely see them top four for sure. We're seeing a freedom from Spurs that I don't think we've seen in a long time because Ooh. Kane was that guy that pretty much locked them down. Like they were the they were the team of Kane. Some sometimes Son would come in and 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 be that second guy. But I completely agree with you, um, Nick, in saying that now that Son pretty much is the main target man, if you just look at how they're lining up, 
he was the singular forward in the game against Burnley. Yeah. And it's it's it is a, a genuine argument that maybe having everything go through Harry Kane could possibly have been detrimental. Yeah, I agree with that. And and Harry Kane is without a doubt a fantastic player. When people try to hate on him, it's I hard think, to score I think as many goals as he scored. Yeah, and then and got, he assists too. And then they do that similar thing where, with like uh, how Caleb is saying, where they kind of go back to that sole attacker kind of. Would you call it situation with Harry Kane, and they kind of just you know sub son in there. A guy like you know, give me, give me, give me a ginger from Sweden. Like Kulishevsky, he's <sighs> gonna have some trouble kind of making at least in an attacking kind of scenario, making an impact in this squad. That's a guy who I can kind of see maybe getting forgotten by this kind of transition Tottenham's going through. Um, but so yeah, there'll be some casualties. But besides that, this is a better Tottenham squad. And I'd rather have Son as my singular tar- target man than Kane. I think. Ooh, I that's not a perspective. I'm I'm not a Harry Kane guy. At all. Okay. I think he's, I, I've always thought he's one of the most overrated players. Is it the, it's a hot take. Is it the immobility or what is it? I, mainly the immobility, the lack of athleticism. I think he, I think he, he's just not, at, he's not as athletic as he should be. If you compare him to, I think he's not as athletic as he should be given how unversatile he is with his finishing. <laughs> I, I just think back I to. Agree. This isn't going to turn to Harry Kane slander, but I do think back to the 2019 Champions League final, and Harry Kane was injured, and everyone was like, is he going to play? Is he not? And he played injured, and Spurs lost the game and didn't look good at all and never really created anything that that to, to, to touch the Liverpool goal. But I think Harry Kane, you see with England, he bangs in goals, goal after goal after goal after goal. With Spurs, he bangs in goal after goal after goal after goal. Even if maybe the team isn't playing to their full potential, like you don't score thirty goals by being a fraud. Like no, that's a it's a lot. He was on his way to being the all time leading goal scorer. He would be if he stayed in the prem. He'd be the all time leading prem goal scorer easily, unless Holland stays in the prem for his whole career. Yeah. Um. Ooh. But Ooh. for now, Alan Shearer's record is safe. But I think it is interesting to see that people were sort of ready to say the sky was falling at Spurs when Harry Kane moved on to Bayern. But it seems like they're doing just fine. And then elsewhere, we've got. Man United, who ended their um, pre-international break schedule with heartbreak against Arsenal, losing 3-1. We talked about that game in the last episode, but really the main thing, I something I brought up last episode was that it looked like United were set up a, like a mid-table team against Arsenal or like a, a lower-table team. Like I compared it to like Fulham trying to get a result at the Emirates, right, right. just playing long diagonals to, to, to Rashford yeah. and doing all that. And yes, Arsenal only won it that game in the... In the right at the death with Declan Rice, but the performance left a lot to be desired, and that's not to mention now you've got all the Anthony drama going on off the field. He's he's away from the club uh, right now, and then... Gattafi's getting the contract ready. Yeah, and... <laughs> Green, Greenwood Anthony on each win. That would be. I don't know. I was just prison FC. If we were to if we were to talk on a positive light on this subject, I was watching academy highlights of Mason Greenwood a couple days ago. That might be one of the greatest academy players I've ever seen. That he, guy had the most complete game ever. He's really good. He's really he's good. He's just not a good person. Great guy. Yeah. No. Not a good person. No. Not even a you know decent human. Neither is Anthony. If any of these allegations are true, but I do think there's a serious problem here. Mason Mount. Like he seems like almost the least of their worries, and he should almost be the most of their worries. He, both Mason Mount and and Kai Havertz for Arsenal, the two the two sort of Chelsea exports that got sold for big money to these teams. Like at this point, like no refunds. 
No refunds. No refunds. No refunds. No refunds. And um, we we feel the same. We get burned like that. We definitely get burned like yes. that every once in a while. But it's nice to be on the other end sometimes. No, and it just doesn't seem like Mount really fits into this United. When you have Bruno in there too, it just doesn't seem like. Are you a Mace guy? I love myself some money, Mace. I I was such a Mace guy. I just want to see him play well. I don't care. I just want to see him play well, and it makes me sad he's not. I just as soon as the move happened, I was I I just. It didn't seem like it was ever going to be a great fit, and yeah. I think early on we've seen that it's it's not going to be. But they play a team that's you know one of the sort of the darling of the Premier League right now. Good team in Brighton, and you know they sell Caicedo for a fortune, and they do this every they this is their this is their mo. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about for Brighton, their first four or five years in the Prem, after coming up, they were on the brink of relegation every year. They were in a a a, a crazy a relegation battle every year. And then just these last couple of years, they've sort of made these smart signings. Um, players from South America, whether it's Estupinan or Caicedo, and, and their scouting's been great and selling these players for a profit. And as soon as somebody sold this next man up, now you see Billy Gilmore playing really well in that Brighton midfield. And Evan Ferguson, a, a, a young guy playing striker, and it just seems like for Brighton, it doesn't necessarily matter who it is. The guys are coming through and they're performing. And when you look at their... Starting eleven, you can pick out Matoma. That guy's going to be worth eighty to ninety million, yeah. and I don't even think that's an exaggeration. He's the, the fantastic. Business Brighton's been doing recently on the wing. There's harder to find better attacking than Matoma right now. I mean, it's just been ferocious. But like we think about Brighton, it's not hard to forget. Maybe like three or four years ago, Brighton is very much a relegation battle team. They very much are, and now they're kind of building this reputation of I don't know about a prem powerhouse, but mid-table prem powerhouse definitely. And it's, it's very cool to see. I mean, they got clowned a little bit after the Caicedo move when they said it was the system and they wouldn't miss him and stuff. They, they were could, right. They were speaking with, uh, I guess, three weeks of hindsight in front of them because they couldn't have been more dead on. Um, and, yeah, I mean, but it's also a thing of it's not just the system either. Like, these guys are going to leave to bigger teams and make massive impacts on the teams they play on. I mean, a guy like Caicedo, for example, really the only guy I've watched that has been, like, a true Brighton export, obviously, with Chelsea, and he's been great so far. So maybe it's just a factory of, making great football players at this point. I really don't know. Yeah, except for Kukurea. Except for yeah, I <laughs> except for Mark Kukurea. I, he literally there's like a there's a blind part in my brain. I they robbed the they robbed us there. Blind. Blind. Like with no ski mask on. Just walked in, just said hello, we'll take your money. Especially when like yes, I, I get that Chilwell's injury prone and, and all that, but especially when you have a guy like Chilwell spending what was it, 70, 80 <laughs> mil on Kukurea? Like just I can't money even, thrown out the window. He's not a good football he's player. He's not a good football player. Like, great hair. Yeah, sure. But it's so United will face Brian sort of in in need of a victory after that bad taste in their mouth against uh, Arsenal before the international break. But Arsenal will face Everton. These are two teams sort of in completely different places, completely different directions. Everton seemed like a prime, prime candidate for for relegation. Just one one draw, three losses on the board. They were. It was took a Ducore screamer from outside the box last year on the final match day to keep them up uh, last season, and they didn't really make that many changes to their starting eleven. Alex Awobi, who's not that crucial to them, but he moved to Fulham. Alex Awobi's a funny player to me because he's just it's just all stepovers and no shooting from outside. No nothing. Twenty eight yards out of the box once in a while, screamer. And so for Everton, this could very well be the year that they finally go down. I was yeah. But I was going to ask you, is it inevitable? I think it's inevitable because I don't understand how you almost you, – you come about as close to getting relegated as you possibly could. 
and then you don't really change your squad like that much. Almost not at all. Almost like literally. I mean, obviously, when you put uh, Angry Birds on your kits, there's you know tends to be a hex that comes on you. So maybe that's the problem because uh, of that advertisement they had a few years ago. But I do feel like the main problem with Everton is they need to start realizing that they're Everton. That's the big thing. They need to start realizing like obviously they're not a top six team, but they are. Like they're they're a top six brand at least, and they need to start. They've got act- the new stadium coming. They need to like, start acting like it. That's the big problem. They're not acting like it. It's not really even necessarily a structural problem. I mean, they don't play horrible. It's just it's a serious Napoleon complex kind of situation where they just I don't know. No, and they got scared. You know they they were gonna get relegated last year, which was gonna happen. Bring in Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche, uh, great manager for lower table teams. But if you're if you like Sean Dyche managing Everton tells you sort of where their heads at about what they can do with the yeah. squad that they have. They're yeah. just trying to stay alive. Yeah, and I I mean when you look at the Lukaku move, like maybe they did such good business with Lukaku and sold their souls because it really seems like they haven't been competitive since. I mean you really look back on it, that was like almost six years ago, and it doesn't seem like they've done anything of note since then. Yeah, there's a certain complacency that I noticed with Everton that is almost counter to what we were just talking about earlier with Brighton having such a big transformation mm. in the past mm. seven, eight years, yes. Everton needs to realize that it's a new era in the Premier League. Truly. History, while they have you know better success than a Brighton, than a Brentford, if you look at the entire context of the Premier League, yeah. it's a new year in the Prem. And going based on history isn't going to help you very much now. It's a really good comparison because yeah. Everton were, like in terms of where you're finishing in the table. Everton were where Brighton was they you know, 10 years ago. They kind of swapped places. And I think for Everton, I don't want to name names, but you can't have 38-year-old Ashley Young playing left back for you and expect that to that to ha- that to be good. That is like he was too old to be playing on United like 7 years ago. Ashley Young was too old to be playing at the World Cup in 2018. And that was five years ago. No, like he was way too old in 2018. It's 2023. But he was starting at le- he was starting at left wing back for for that England team. But Nuts. it's 2023 now. That was hilarious. Time to time to put the boots down, Ashley. <laughs> but I think I think this is the year everything goes down. Yeah. I think to to not get relegated and then just be like, okay, we're fine. Like we're not really gonna invest that much. Like that's I don't know their ownership situation. I don't think they're I don't think they have like money. Yeah. Like, I think it's tied up in the stadium and they're kind of like. I don't know their owners, but like, yo, get it together. Like, I think what they're do- going through a like a complicated situation right now. Yeah, and and you have all the money tied up in their new stadium, which you know the project was announced when this was a team that was finishing sixth, seventh in the Prem that was getting European football yeah. on occasion. So now, when you're finishing towards the bottom, possibly even in the Championship, that revenue's not there. And for a team that shares a city with Liverpool, I mean. Just yeah. it's 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 not good times for Everton. They but. can't be scared or like surprised or they can't have any strong reaction to the relegation because they've they've basically been relegated the last two years. Like if we're really you know in a general. And context. it's a similar thing to me for, with like a team like Southampton, where the decline was gradual, where everything haven't necessarily fallen off a cliff. They've just finished lower and lower each year. Yeah. Southampton were were challenging for European soccer with 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 Tadic and. And all those Sadio Mane, yeah, and, and all those names in the in the mid 2010s, and then just it's so slowly they finish lower and lower yeah. and lower, and then they're out of the league. There's seriously franchises and brands in the Championship and in League One that are like that that we don't even remember, like off the top of our head, we can't even say right now. See, Blackpool, yeah, but they that's what I'm like. They had that kind Wigan. of 
Queens yeah. Park, yeah. like the Rangers. UPR, like, yeah. Even just like these people that had these kind of established brands in the Prem, they just disappear. Blackburn Rovers. Disappear. Yes. They seriously, and that's um, you know, there's a, there's a. It's part of the beauty of this sport. I love if you relegation. Don't continue to invest in your team. Yeah. You might not exist in 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 six seven years. The dark side Sunderland. of relegation. Sunderland. Sunderland. They're Sunderland. back in the championships. Yeah. Swansea. Swansea. Yep. Exactly. Oh yeah, it's a good call. All these teams where if you look at what the Prem looks like now compared to what it looked like ten years ago. It's totally different. Stoke. Aston Villa had that. Stoke for, City. What at, happened to Stoke City? I actually, I have a friend who's a Stoke fan. Shout out Dan. Um, but I think that those kind of brands, even teams like Leeds and uh, As- um, Aston Villa, those are two teams that had that kind of thing happen yeah. where people did not have strong connections to them in their brains. You know, I, I mean, people my age definitely, but we grew up in middle school and stuff like that. You didn't know players that played on Leeds or anything like that. I just knew it for when uh, Mini Minter and Chris MD would just go play throwback <laughs> FIFA's. You know what I mean? And they would play Leeds versus. Arsenal. Great yeah. shout. Um, Great but anyway, shout. so yeah, these brands can go forgotten, and I, I could, t- I don't, Arsenal can't think that they are impossible to that, that they are just, you know, immune to that, because it could definitely happen to them, and they should definitely be on their toes. And on the, on the Arsenal side of things, it's been, you know, they, they, they collapsed at the end of last year. We'll just throw it out there. They collapsed. Um, but I think the injury to, to, to Saliba had a lot to do with that, considering he's a Rolls Royce world class center back. Rolls but they've Royce. had a great start to the season with three wins and a draw. So for Arsenal, coming off that big win against United, it's sort of uh, a time right now where they're maybe might be the only team in the Prem besides Man City that has genuine title aspirations, and that anything less than a title would be. Uh, Maybe not a failure, but that's what Arsenal are striving for with their current squad, the moves they've made, and what happened last year. I mean, yeah. I mean, if they stay healthy, that seems to be a big proponent of it. I mean, you just touched on Saliba, but even a guy like Gabby, Jesus, that goal was pitcher perfect, that third goal, that Man United game. Their striker force, especially with Nketiah, I mean, obviously Balogun's getting a little forgotten. I hope he gets a move soon. But those two guys at the striking force, even with that, cent- that uh, central defensive midfield, you know, dominance now with Rice, I mean, he honestly has been a little overrated in his first couple games. He scored that big goal, but he hasn't been great. Um, but just even the play of a guy like Saka cutting in from outside the box, a guy like Partey, they just seem loaded. They just seem like one of these teams, when you look back on history, it's like, yeah, that was a championship side. It's also... You know, someone like besides Saka, like Martinelli. Martinelli was like a meme for for that that. I remember this. There was this TikTok account called Martinelli Goal, <laughs> there, where they would just post his goal against Chelsea, where where Conte fell down at yeah, the halfway line yeah. over and over yeah. and over again. There's running jokes where you could offer Arsenal fans Mbappe for Martinelli, and they probably say no. Yeah, and no, and they would just be like, <laughs> no, and 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 back then it was like. Martinelli's only ever scored this goal, and that's yeah. his one claim to fame, and yeah. that's like the running joke. And now, and it's now like, he's like an absolute baller. Mbappe, what? But I mean, Arsenal fans are delusional, but the most delusional, yeah, probably. But that, you know, having him and Saka on on each wing, that's kind of a, in terms of 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 winger partnerships. One of the best in the Prem. One it's, of the best in the world. It's the best in the Prem. I mean, I, I mean, there's been a little bit, the Mares move, I think, kind of cements that. I don't think City has that kind of wing partnership that they do anymore. Especially they don't really need it now with, with Holland. <laughs> and, they, you know, they got Foden. They can put yeah. Foden there. They can put whoever they want. Alvarez there. They can do whatever they want. Um, but, yeah, Arsenal, that tandem ship, along with a guy like Nketiah, is really starting to show who he is. And a guy like Jesus, who we already know who he is, it's scary. I mean, a guy like Havertz, I think, could play a little spoiler for this team. I would kind of have that as a point of contention for this Arsenal, you know, fandom. But besides that, I mean, it seems pretty smooth sailing. Yeah, and yeah, the, the one the one issue has been Kai Havertz. I think we should touch on that just because 
you know, to me, everybody's always told me that Kai Havertz is a, is a really good player. Like, despite what my eyes watching Kai Havertz play tell me. Yeah. And I think there's a disconnect there. And yes, he gets he gets picked every he gets picked consistently by every, every manager to pick yeah. him. Yet it never seems like the product on the field is anything that special. I don't know where do, where do you stand on uh, on Kai and and what he can bring to this Arsenal team. I think that pattern that you're alluding to, where he just gets picked for every game, I think that comes from him just being a really good training player. He probably works really hard. It's like all the little things he probably does well to get picked. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you want to watch Kai Havertz play well, just throw on some Bundesliga highlights. Then you could have that's that's a fun night. Just you know, yeah. hopping on the couch and watching some Kai Havertz Bundesliga Bi- highlights. Yeah, some Bayer Leverkusen um, action. Yeah. But when you watch those, and then you watch the guy that's been playing in the Prem the last couple of years, it's just not the same person just literally just looks like a different player and I don't know that is probably a mental game I mean I've, I watched I read an incredible um article on the Players Tribune talking about uh who was the wonder kid who never uh, panned out at AC Ro- uh, AC Milan um it, it doesn't his name is not important but just the way he talked about soccer and it, it applies to the Sancho situation right now as well where it's like the game is going to pass you by the game doesn't wait for anybody you know you can't just be stagnant like you don't you're not bigger than the game and I do kind of feel that way a little bit just kind of about Kai where it's like he I don't, he's waiting for the perfect situation it's like Kai no you just gotta go do it you know I, I feel a real timidness from Kai and uh yeah I really I feel like that resonates with him a lot the game is going to pass him by and he really needs to get his head on straight before it goes completely Away. Yeah, and for him, he's in a really good team, and he's got you know it's not it's not necessarily the it's not at all the chaos that was Chelsea last year. It's a good team that's trying to compete for title in Champions League football. So the minutes in big games are going to be there. It's just a matter of whether Kai Havertz can sort of be that player that everyone thinks he can be. No, but then <laughs> I don't think he can be. I don't think he can be that either. I, I honestly I have more hope for Mason Mount working out at United than I do for Kai Havertz at Arsenal. I think Mason's a better player. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's a crazy team. Well, when does Kyrie put up, like, double-digit goals and assists in the Prem? I know. He's going to live on that Champions League goal forever. Yeah. Which, deservedly so. He scored a Champions League winner. But it's sad that that's what he's going to be remembered for forever. I'd, I, w- I would take being remembered for winning goals. Sure, yeah, yeah. Final. I think a lot of yeah, people would. No, yeah, but, you're right, you're right. But you're for, right. What, <laughs> for what he was supposed to be. Of course. Yes, it's disappointing. I think the last sort of game, the last stop we'll take in this in this preview of, of this upcoming Premier League weekend is Liverpool playing Wolves on the road. That's an early kick on Saturday. And for Liverpool, you know, it's a midfield that looks almost entirely different. Um, but they look good. They they look they have three wins and a draw so far in this in this Premier League season. And sort of there's no like out and out holding midfielder in this team, it's like it's McAllister, it's Sabasly, and Curtis Jones is what it's been. But it so, seems to be working. Say that name again, Sabasly. Yeah, I can't do that. I just call him Dom. Dom. That's his name, right? His first name is Dom. Dominic Sabasly. Yeah. Shabas- yeah. I just call him Dommy. In real, unreal scream he had in that game the other day. Um, I think that is maybe one of the better signings of the off season. Just when we think of just what teams need and guys can fill needs, I don't know if there was maybe a better click than maybe Dom and Liverpool. But we really see the the midfield is kind of it's kind of the line of scrimmage of soccer. It's where the game is played, and yeah. no matter how much talent like guys like Allison in the back or Van Dyke in the back you have or guys like Mane up front or guys like um you know the uh, Egyptian king up front it seems like if you don't have that midfield covered it's like it, it doesn't matter and now they do I am I'm I'm curious to see how sort of that the, the midfield three they've been running out would hold up against 
Yes, they play Chelsea, but I think as we've seen, Chelsea maybe not, maybe aren't probably in the get, same caliber as a team like Arsenal or Man City. Best quality game we probably played so far, though that draw to Liverpool. And I, th- I think it'd be interesting to see a team that has somebody like either either Rodri at CDM or yeah. Declan Rice or an out and out CDM to see how Liverpool's midfield would 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 match up against a team. Even like in that. a defensive sense, a guy like De Bruyne just like yeah. giving them some pressure it definitely is it definitely a test. I feel like City, especially when we get specific to the midfield defense and uh, attacking, it's like the true test of the Premier League for sure. But there's certainly no shortage of attacking options for this Liverpool team and that's sort of where all the fun is. Darwin Nunez seems to be playing better. He scored the, those two goals at at Newcastle to win it for them, and Good then player. you've got, you know, if you start Salad Nunez and Diaz, you've still got Jota on the bench. You've still got Gakpo. Gakpo. You've got a lot of a lot of different options to, to come on for this Liverpool team. So I think for them, if you're looking sort of big picture, you know, top four is definitely the goal. But you know, you haven't lost the game yet. As of now, you just keep chugging along and you see where you are. Yeah. Come come the winter time. I think it's the most faith a Liverpool, you know, as a, like a Liverpool fan should have in a long time. These last couple of years really felt transitional and I still think they are in a bit of a transitional. They haven't waited to really make that commitment into the new era, which I think until they do that they're not going to have a ton of success. But where they're at right now, they kind of have the best of both worlds. They have the best pieces of that former kind of reign and then they kind of have a bunch of new guys who are very good as well. Kind of reminds me of trying to think of what year maybe 2016 man city right like when they had guys like fernandinho and they had those older yeah. players like aguero they had them there but also but the new nacho was getting minutes yeah the new regime was kind of coming in yeah. behind them that's the kind of place i see liverpool and now it's interesting to see if klopp's going to stick around for this whole thing i don't personally think he will um but right now where they're at they're going to win soccer games they're going to get results they'll probably get european ball and it's, it's a good place to be as they kind of build up for the future i think and i think you look at how good his liverpool team is and then being in the europa league that's a genuine they should they could very easily win that europa league they're the best team title, the best team in the europa league yeah. but you know knockout fo- knockout football you never know what's exactly going to happen Nope. But I don't know about you guys, but I'm just excited that this international break has finished. I think I'm going to be more excited for the October international break, considering that the U.S. plays Germany and Ghana, and you've got some better games to look forward to. In in November, there's games that actually matter a lot. But watching your national team play against Uzbekistan and Oman doesn't quite have the same sort of energy as, as a Prem Saturday does. Uh, but I think that'll about, that'll about do it for this edition of FUVFC, Nick Guzman. Chris Carino and Caleb Stein saying so long. We've got through the international break. Now we're finally back to some juicy, juicy European footy. See you guys next time.